Well, happy 2020 or 2020, whichever way you prefer to say it. And welcome to The Messy Table, an ordinary space for real women, imperfect stories, and the God who's always at work in our mess. I'm Jen Jewell, the host of this faith-fueled conversation-style podcast, which airs a brand new episode every other Tuesday. And y'all, we are partnered with the women of my church, Life Church, as well as many incredibly wise, bold, thoughtful, Jesus-loving women who are part of the Capital C Church all over the world. So no matter what you're up to at this very moment, whether you're traveling for work or running on the treadmill or folding laundry or charting numbers or hiding in the bathroom from your toddler, Guys, our simple prayer is that this will be a place where you can come as you are and take a deep breath of truth and encouragement. I do want to point out as we kick off this new year, our episodes for the month of January have a very specific focus, not just because our New Year's resolutions likely aren't cutting it, though they probably aren't, and not just because we want to set some new goals and strive for something bigger and attempt to be more awesome, but because we know there's value in taking intentional time to pause, to listen, to consider what matters most. As Mary Oliver once so eloquently asked, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? So within the greater framework of knowing God and making Him known, which is the main mission that any Christ follower is called to, there's also those passions and gifts and dreams and desires and gentle whispers that have been given uniquely to you as your responsibility. God didn't put us here to be robots or to fit into some cookie cutter mold, but to follow His lead one tiny obedient step at a time. Maybe it's not one massive thing or one noticeable thing, but a mosaic of smaller intricate pieces that make up a faith-filled life. One thing we can all do today in this new year is to start with open hands and humble hearts. We can dare to ask God to lead us on this great adventure and to help us discern our next right thing. In Matthew 5, 14 through 16, Jesus said, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. No, not for our own glory, but for His. Guys, I am doing a little happy dance as I introduce you to my guest for episode 68. Emily Freeman is a wife, mom of three, author, podcast host, writing mentor, and a slew of other titles. Mostly, she's just a curious listener who's dedicated her life to helping others create space for their souls to breathe, which sounds awesome, right? Emily's someone I admire, someone I've been listening to and learning from for a long time. So whether you just need someone to help you get your wheels spinning or you could use an encouraging cheerleader in your decision-making process. I promise this time learning from Emily will be time well spent. So wherever you are right now, grab your coffee, pull up a chair, and join me for a chat with Emily. Well, Emily, welcome to The Messy Table. Well, thanks for having me. It sure is a delight to be here. I'm glad you are. One of my favorite things is sharing some of my personal favorite influencers with our Messy Table community, and you have been a trusted voice in my life, someone I love to learn from, and I've read all your books. They're a blaze of yellow glory because of way too many highlights. Like, <laughs> you know, when you highlight, but it's not actually helpful because you highlighted the whole page, <laughs> that's what your books look like. So before we dive in, first, just kind of Tell us about you, your life, and give us a little peek into your world. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you for saying that. That's such an honor. Thank you for reading the books and for your kind words. Well, you know, overview, I've been kind of doing this writing life. Well, really all my life I've been writing, but 
professionally for about the last 10 years. I've written five books. My most recent book came out back in April of 2019 um, called The Next Right Thing. And so I, for a few of my books came out, you know, one a year for about three years in a row. And then I grew some brain cells and realized <laughs> That's too close together. So I'm inching towards more of every four-year author, which is the other extreme. But um, my husband, John, and I have been married about 18 years. We live in North Carolina. We've got three kids, twin girls who are 16, about to be 16, and our son is 13. So we're kind of right in the thick of the teenage years, which is really fun, despite what they all say. Good to hear. It's, it really is. I mean, it, you know, there's hard things, but there's hard things no matter what age your kids are, right? Or even if you don't have kids, there's hard things. So for sure. We have enjoyed getting to know them as kind of as like people you know, <laughs> and not really just as kids. And right. So that's been a real joy. I love it. Okay. Your fifth book. I'm trying to think. I feel like there's one I haven't read. What am I missing? Got... I bet you're missing Graceful. Okay. That's the one for the, the teen version. That's right. right. Teenage okay. girl book. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So the twin thing, like how was that? I had one of my best friends had twins and I feel like the nursing deal was like a whole circus, like a whole ball game. <laughs> yeah. Circus maybe is a great maybe word. Shouldn't have said circus. Maybe that's <laughs> no, it was a circus. I mean, that's kind actually. No, it was insanity. And not only that, our girls were seven weeks early. And so they really didn't know how to eat very well and breathe and swallow all at the same time, which is necessary for life. And so (laughs) they did come home at, you know, they were still five weeks from their due date and they were able to come home. So they were very healthy, but they weren't able to nurse like super great. And so I had to like, I would, I would feed one then I would feed the other one and then I would have to pump. And so I actually felt like I had triplets. One of them was a robot, but it was, <laughs> it was real hard. I don't really remember the first six months, really the first year, but really the first six months, um, because they were early and it just made everything harder there at the beginning. Did they have to go to the NICU for a little bit or no? They did just for not even very long. I feel like it was just a couple, a week or so. I don't know. I, they should have been there longer, but looking back, I have my suspicion, Jen, that maybe my due date was a little off because <laughs> to be seven weeks early, one of them was five pounds, five ounces. Oh, and whoa. That, right. Like full term babies. Some of them, a small one is about that size. So and, and the other one was four pounds, but still, I don't know. I wonder if I was actually further along than everybody mm, thought. Maybe. It's a mystery it, for God. It is. You can ask him one of these days. <laughs> one so of these days. You wear a lot of hats. I want to know, do you have any specific like tricks or life hacks, intentional white space you've adopted as your own that kind of helps you run your world? Well, I'll tell you one thing that's really helped me because you're right. I do feel like I kind of have a lot of different roles, especially in my work. And I think one thing that's helped me, and this might not apply to everyone, but anybody who does work that has lots of different facets, like just for example, personally, I I do write books, not as often, but I write books. I run an online membership site for writers called Hope Writers. Mm-hmm. So I'm sort of a writing mentor. And then I also run, a, I'm beginning to run a mastermind small group for writers um, of about 28 writers. That's a year long experience. I also teach um, or I'm starting to teach in the fall at 
a university where I recently graduated with my master's degree. And so I'm going to be doing some things in spiritual formation and I host a podcast. And so all of those things sound like a lot of different hats. Um, But what has actually helped to keep me sane is to find the way they all relate and to call it just one hat. And that's helped me to feel like, oh, I'm not actually running in a million different directions, though my tasks might look different on a daily basis from one day to the next. For me, just remembering that all these things do fit under one umbrella or under one hat to stick with that comparison metaphor. Mm-hmm. Um, and it helps me kind of have a similar posture in my work as I approach it, that I am, you know, I'm someone who really values the conversation around faith, around creativity and kind of how those two things interplay. Mm-hmm. Um as we're being formed. And I think all of those things fit in that one hat. And so that helps me not feel so crazy. I still feel a little bit crazy, but not quite so much. Right. So do you block off times of your day or different days for these different things? Or does it just depend? It depends. But I I have an assistant. Her name is Jenna. And she helps me really think through and kind of categorize my schedule. But um, we're still figuring it out. But mm-hmm. I have found one thing that does really work for me is to have theme days. And some people call it batching. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think of it more in terms of like, for example, on Mondays, that's kind of my podcast day. That's the day where I'm really scripting an episode, recording an episode, thinking through future episodes mm-hmm. that's on Mondays. And that means on Wednesdays, I'm not really thinking about the podcast. And that helps me to feel like nothing's falling through the cracks. There aren't enough days in the week really to have, right. to have a full day <laughs> for everything, but yeah. even to have like half a day for one thing. So I'm not having to switch tasks between, you know, switch brain spaces, I should say, yeah, between big projects. Exactly. That's great. So speaking of hope writers, I have to be honest, I've been compelled to want to join, but then I'm like nervous of commitment. (laughs) What are you nervous about? I don't know. I think I'm like, I already have a full schedule. I don't know if I can add one more thing, but I'm also intrigued and kind of want to do it. So give us a little peek into that. What is it? Well, Hope Writers, it's an online membership community for anyone who wants to write meaningful words without sacrificing their meaningful life. And really what we do is we help writers find and follow their own path to sharing their words with a reader. And so we found that there's kind of this gap that exists between those of us who really feel like writing makes us come alive and writing is the way we express ourselves and the way that we discover what we think and how we listen to the world and listen to God and to our own lives. But then there's a pivot that we have to make when we move from writing in private to writing for a reader. And there are some real implications there and there's some struggles and some fears and some roadblocks even sometimes. Sometimes they're just in our heads, but there you go. They're there. And so What we try to do is provide uh, writers with a really simple, clear path to know, first of all, where am I on the writing path? And when it comes to sharing my words with a reader or wanting to maybe write a book or to write my words in a way that people can receive them, whether that be on a blog or website or through social media or in a podcast or teaching a class or whatever. It doesn't always have to be a book, but a lot of people, let's be honest, are wanting to write a book. Mm. And so we simply help people discover where they are on that writing path and then how to move forward. And so our, our real goal is helping writers make progress. I love that. What a gift. And I'm sure many people listening right now, they're Googling it like, all right, I want to check this out. So I hope so. Hopewriters.com. We only open a few times a year, but we always have free resources and you can join the, the waiting list to see when we open again. And it's especially, I think, one of the big questions, just one final thing that a lot of writers 
get where they get stuck when we quit or give up is because we have um, confused the craft of writing with the business of publishing. And we get really discouraged when we're trying to put everything that has to do with writing in one bucket. But learning to be a writer and learning how to be a better writer and to learn the craft of writing is a really honorable goal. And nobody ever has to read your words for that. But if you're someone who actually wants readers, then you want to begin to think about, okay, what does it mean to publish? And it could be that, you know, this is a time for writing and exploring your work that way. It might not be time to share that writing. They're not always the same thing. And I think sometimes making that distinction for writers is really important and sometimes really freeing. Mm, yeah. So many good nuggets in there. I love that. So like I mentioned, I've been a longtime follower of your blog, Chatting at the Sky, shout out, <laughs> and books, and now your podcast. So I know one of your greatest passions is creating space for souls to breathe. And I'd say you're meeting that goal because I'm pretty sure I take a deep breath anytime I'm reading your words or listening to your voice, which is actually very soothing. I'm sure you get that a lot. So what triggered that calling for you to create space for other souls to breathe? Like what compelled you to want to help other people in that way? I think it was, I mean, it was pretty organic way back when, you know, the internet started. Just kidding. It wasn't that long ago, but <laughs> it was just many years ago when we all did kind of have, you know, well, not we all, but a lot of people, when we started blogging back in 2005, 2006, um, I didn't start out that way. I didn't start out knowing like, I would like to help create space for the soul to breathe. Like it just, <laughs> that wasn't really it, but I think I wrote my way into it. And the common thread that I realized was coming out and the common theme. And the thing that people seemed to really resonate with was when my, that sort of described what my work was doing for people it was mm -hmm. helping people slow down and to pay attention and honoring that and kind of naming things that we all experience, but naming it as something important, mm -hmm. um, naming those everyday moments as something important and helping people pay attention to their own lives. And so I think I, I write it so deeply and so often because I need it so desperately myself. Mm -hmm. And, um, and even since those days of kind of naming that, or, you know, saying that that's what I do create space for the soul to breathe. I've really continued that sentence to include so that, cause you know, so my soul can breathe. So what, so that you can discern your next right thing in love Come on, right now. And so I think I don't want it to stop. And I've even I adopted a phrase from David Fitch, who wrote a book called um, Faithful Presence, I think is the book. I hate that I can't remember that, but I think that's it. His name's David Fitch. But he says he had a line there that I've added to that. <laughs> Listen, I'm this is going to be the longest sentence ever, creating space for your soul to breathe so that you can discern your next right thing in love as we live together in Christ's kingdom and bring the world along. And that's a David Fitch line. And I feel like that kind of completes it because it goes from me with God to me moving into the world in my decision-making life so that I can connect with the world around me. Because really our formation is not just for us. It's if it's not a community, then what good is it? Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's such an important aspect of creating that space for the soul. Mm -hmm. That's good. Well, and there's purpose behind it. And, yes. and so that I think is what is so important. And I like what you said about the writer's job being to pay attention. And I think that's kind of the human job too. Like we all need to slow down long enough to pay attention to what is happening in our life and to what God is doing in our life and through our life. I mean, not that we have to, but I think if we don't, we're missing out. Well, it's an invitation, a kind invitation. And you're right. It is the job of everyone. That's mm -hmm. that's a truth. Mm -hmm. So how have you learned to step into that call with confidence? Was it just kind of over time? It was over time, but it was also doing it 
um, even though I didn't have confidence Mm. and continuing to do it. And also, and this is probably not something anybody wants to hear, but um, having some people or voices speak against what I was doing or criticize what I was doing at first was really debilitating. But that actually helped to refine what I really wanted to say and and where the calling really was, because at that point, it would have been easy to quit, right? Easier Mm -hmm. to quit. But I think having some of that, I don't know the word controversy, not even controversy. That's Mm -hmm. too strong of a word. Just kind of negative feedback. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So having some criticism along the way is actually really healthy. And it helps a person to um, either it's going to shut you down or it's going to wake you up. And Mm -hmm. and for me, it, it woke me up. And I'm grateful for that. That's so good. So how do you continue to stay inspired in the mundane and persevere in the face of maybe it's negative feedback, maybe it's life challenges or uncertainties? Like, how do you keep going? You know, that phrase, the next right thing, it's not just a title of a podcast or title of a book. I mean, it really is my kind of how I live my life. Mm -hmm. And so I don't even think about being inspired. That didn't even cross my mind is how to be inspired. I just, I think it's just a matter of honoring the work, honoring God's life within me and his invitation to do the next right thing. Now, I don't always do this well. Listen, right, right. <laughs> but but I think that it's paying attention, like we said before, and allowing myself to kind of ask myself that question of what's the next right thing in this moment? And it doesn't always have to be something profound. In fact, usually it's not or even productive Mm -hmm. and saying yes to some of those smaller things when maybe the next right thing is to take a walk around the block Mm -hmm. or to (laughs) listen to this lovely song. And in turn, those are really inspirational things, you Mm -hmm. know, as we live life. Mm -hmm. But as an imperfect human, you are willing to step into that. And I think that's it because if we're not willing to be willing to do the next right thing, then it shuts down before it even starts. Yeah, that's true. Well, you have a lot of plates juggling in the air, like we talked about hats, plates, whatever. Has there ever been a time when all of them seemed to kind of fall and break and things were just messy? Something in your life that didn't go as perfectly planned. You mean today or this week? (laughs) Right. How many of those examples would you like? Yeah, that happens all the time. It happens uh, at least monthly. (laughs) But I feel like that one of the things that I'm learning about myself is that I probably push past that moment when everything's messy, maybe like three days too far. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to pay attention to three days before everything kind of feels like it's falling apart. Yeah. Um, And not, I don't mean everything maybe in a, like a super serious way, like, you know, like a life or death way, but just kind of like a schedule way or a, my rhythm of life, you know, when it kind of can get wonky. And thankfully, my husband, John, probably has a more sensitive radar to that for me on my behalf than I do. That's and nice. That's helpful. It's nice. And so he'll kind of point things out. Sometimes I'll get defensive about it. But usually, you know, that's helpful because if he says something or, you know, invites me to be like, why don't you, why don't we go to lunch or whatever, you know, something that provides a little bit of margin in a day when normally, you know, that wouldn't be there or it would feel too scary to take. Um, that's helpful to try to pay attention to that. Cause like I said, when things are full and when times are busy or there's a lot going on, it's easy for me to push through. Like, I think I have a high capacity for work and for kind of like going, just do the thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's not necessarily healthy, which it's kind of ironic, right? Because I'm the one who talks about um, creating space for your soul. Hmm. <laughs> but it's because I need it so much. It's, that's mm-hmm. why I'm able to talk about it, I think. Mm-hmm. It's just overflowing out of you because that's what you need. What I need, yeah. 
So here on the podcast, we hear all kinds of stories and some that are especially fun to hear are those dramatic, crazy conversion stories. We had one gal on a friend of mine who literally used to be a professional stripper. Her husband was a drug dealer and their lives were radically transformed by the power of Jesus, which is amazing. And I love those stories. We all love those stories, but that's not my story. And I know that's not your story. And many of our listeners didn't go from a prostitute to a saint, but maybe they grew up in church and they definitely weren't perfect, but maybe they got pretty good at earning the approval of others. And so I'm going to go way back to your book, Grace for the Good Girl. You talk about letting go of that try hard life, which includes this kind of striving for control and perfection, for constantly wanting to take matters into your own hands, for hiding behind the good masks of, you know, being trustworthy, responsible, like all those good things that um, no one would look at and say, like, oh man, she shouldn't do that. But God never intended for that to earn our salvation. And so, talk to me a little bit about that journey for you, because I think we have a lot of listeners who are in our shoes, who maybe they don't have this massive, crazy, wild story that you could put on a billboard and say, look what God did. But it's the everyday smaller moments that make up a lifetime. Yeah. You know, the longer I live the story that it has been my life, which is like you said, it's a little, it's been a a little bit more of a gentle conversion over time. It's not been like you said, where someone from the outside would see the difference that Jesus made. Right. Doesn't mean there's not stuff. Right. Exactly. The obvious. It's just quite, you know, maybe if I wrote a memoir about it, nobody would kind of care because nothing really happened Mm -hmm. that that was story worthy. Right. At least not to somebody else. Obviously to me, it's all been very important. But I would say that I think there's a cultural and there's just a cultural interest in extreme stories like that. But like you say, it's really not a lot of our experience or story. And there can be a weird, almost like um, a sense of shame Mm -hmm. that can come when we feel like we don't have. Like I have a boring story. Well, no. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Or that maybe we're not living fully, you know, like, I don't know. I grew up in the late nineties and youth group. And it was like when every youth group was named something that had to do with fire and everything had to be like on fire for God and whatever. And I don't know. I never, I never fully resonated with all of that because I felt like so many of the people who that was such a big deal for had lived life so differently. But I do think that even when I wrote that book 10 years ago, which I'm still proud of, I'm still learning the language to talk about that struggle because I think it is a unique struggle unique, but not uncommon. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's a unique struggle because it's hard to talk about because it's like, Oh, poor you, you had a healthy childhood or whatever. I mean, we all have our dysfunctions. Right. But, Mm -hmm. um, so it's like, Oh, it's kind of a weird thing to talk about sometimes, but I think it's important because what it highlights is that we all need the same grace from God and we all are desperately in need and we all are turning from something. Just some of our some things that we're turning from are culturally unacceptable and other things are culturally acceptable, but mm-hmm. we aren't called to live in a culture. We're called to live in the kingdom of God. And so though my sin may have looked um, proud or sometimes looks like it's affirmed by the world, that doesn't make it any less gross. Mm-hmm. And so it's still in need of the same presence of God in my life because it's not so much about the behavior. It's really about a posture that we have. So I think one thing I've learned since even writing that book, one piece of language that I feel like I've gotten from Dallas Willard, who talked about that, you know, walking with God is not the absence of effort because there still is effort, Mm -hmm. but it is the absence of 
earning. And so it's not about earning our acceptance before him, but that doesn't mean that there's still not effort involved. And so I think that too, for a long time, I kind of had to abandon, not abandon, but I kind of had to let go a little bit of some of the spiritual disciplines that were a little bit, that I felt were a little bit more rigid. Mm -hmm. Kind of legalistic. Yeah, because they were for me kind of a way of earning. Um, And I set them down, but now years later, I have been able to pick them up again and they have become a beautiful part of my rhythm of life because the effort is Christ empowered effort rather than me trying to, you know, pull up my bootstraps or whatever that phrase is and try to earn something, you know? And Mm -hmm. so that's really been the difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I do think it's super relevant and even Satan fell from heaven because of pride, you know? And so I was talking to someone recently who was like, man, I'd love to come on your podcast, but I don't have some big story. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not the point. Like we all have pieces of our stories that are messy and complex and that God has done a mighty work in, but they might not look like, you know, the stripper to the saint to reference back to what I was saying earlier. And so I just think, even though you wrote it 10 years ago, I still think that it is such a relevant and helpful tool for so many people who might have a similar story. So Thank you for that. So what over the years has God kind of taught you in the trenches? Maybe it's been motherhood. Maybe it's been ministry. Maybe it's been that work life through writing, through teaching. Um, What are some things that God has just really, I guess, prepared in you over the years for the season you're in now? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I I think um, part of that I might not know the answer to for five years from now, but, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but looking back kind of at his track record of faithfulness in my life. I think he's always um, inviting me into a deeper um, space of trust. I think I've, I've never, well, I don't know, never if it's right, but I don't recall going through a period of time where I questioned that God loved me or that God was good. But I do feel like there have been times when I have wondered if I can trust him. Hmm. And I don't know if maybe ultimately someone could tease that out and say, well, then you're ultimately not believing that it's good if you don't think you can trust him. And I don't think I would ever say like, I can't trust God. But if I had to name something from a trench place mm-hmm. or, you know, when my kids were very small or even now as they're grown, but they're going, they go through things that now I envy the days when they were small. Cause I think, mm. well, at least I knew where they were at night <laughs> or at least, you know, not that I don't know where they are, but you know what I mean? Right. Like it's, they're people now and they do stuff and they're, <laughs> they're out people they, now. They are uh, real people taller than me. Um, uh, and so I think there is this kind of a repetitive thread or a continuous thread throughout my life, maybe of, of that, of just kind of holding that in front of me as a question mark, like not so much like, can I trust God, but where are the areas where I'm not trusting him and kind of being mm-hmm. aware of those. So is it usually with the uncertainties that are coming? Yeah, it usually has to do with, yeah, fear of the unknown or um, having to do with people who I love. Yeah. I think those are usually the areas where I feel like, Hmm, I don't know. I I might need to hold on to this part, Mm -hmm. you know, which is saying it out loud is ridiculous, but there you go. No, I'm with you for sure. I think there are times when it's like, God, I know you're in control and I know I can trust you, but what if I don't like what you're doing, if that makes sense. So can I trust you to work out my plan? Well, that's dumb anyway. I don't want him to work out my plan. I want him to work his plan because he is good and he does good. And I know that, but sometimes it's the whole head heart thing. They don't always match up. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Okay. So your book, 
your podcast, both with the same name, The Next Right Thing, um, which I I was cracking up because I was sitting in Frozen. And of course, they're talking about The Next Right Thing, Frozen 2, and you came to mind. And then I saw that you released a podcast episode about that. So you must have gotten a lot of people talking about it. Listen, <laughs> if I could tell you the number of DMs, emails, text messages that I have gotten about that. I mean, okay, and, I'm and sorry to bring just, it up. <laughs> no, I, I love talking about it. I think it's so fun, but it's, it's it's not just recently, like it's been for over 10 weeks or like, you know, the past ever, actually ever since September of 2019, mm-hmm. when whoever Disney or whoever started teasing the movie and it was, you know, that they teased like a little line from the song people have been telling the first time I heard, I was like, what? And then it, it just picked up speed, but it's been really fun. I mean, how cool is it that when people go see Frozen, they think about me, I pretty I much love it. I know. <laughs> I totally did. I totally did. Which the next right thing wasn't your line. I mean, it's something that you picked up. Tell us where it came from. Well, I don't know where it came from originally in the world, but I know for me, I first heard that line or that concept anyway, back in college when I used to listen to Elizabeth Elliott on Mm -hmm. a radio broadcast called Gateway to Joy. And she actually didn't say the line, but she quoted a lot from a poem called Do the Next Thing. The poem was called Do the Next Thing. And it was this kind of cute little rhymey poem about trusting God. Uh, surprise, surprise. And um, <laughs> and the every line ended with just do the next thing. And she didn't ever give credit to the person. She would say anonymous was the, and I'm like, no, I'm a writer. We don't <laughs> anonymously quote people. We find the source, which she didn't really have the benefit of being able to do that easily she on the internet, but Google, I yeah. do. Yeah. So it was actually written by a woman named Minnie Paul. And so I found where it was originally published, at least as far back as I could find. It was a book published in 1897 called Ye Next Thing. It was like written in Old English. Mm-hmm. And it's like a weird fiction book. <laughs> like it's, I tried to read it and I'm like, I don't know, there's a lot of things I'm missing here, but it's like a really <laughs> tiny book. But in the front of the book is this poem that Elizabeth Elliot used to read and read on the radio show. And so that's where I first heard it. And as a 20 year old college student, it was really meaningful to me, just this idea of just doing the next thing, especially since, you know, when you're 20, 19, 20, your whole life is kind of like mm-hmm. a big decision. What am I going to do like next? That, what am I going to do? And everybody's asking, you know, and so that was really meaningful to me. But since then, I've heard that phrase from, I mean, another really common place where people um, have heard it is in the 12 steps um, and the big book of AA. Mm-hmm. And there's, I think one of the steps is all about just doing the next thing. That's and good really powerful. And mm-hmm. there's a reason why that's powerful. So there have been many, many other authors and songwriters and poets and activists who have used it as well. Well, I liked it in Frozen too, as well. I was like, come I on. Yeah. And she did it. Appropriate. She did yeah, the next she right did thing. It. She sure did. So you say that the next right thing targets the second guessers, the chronically hesitant, or anyone who suffers from decision fatigue. And I can relate with every single letter in that sentence. So <laughs> tell us a little backstory on why you specifically chose that title. Um, What's some of the backstory with your decision making? Like, were you always a great decision maker or were you horrible? And that's why you dove into it. Yeah, I'm a terrible decision maker. Are you kidding me? (laughs) No, I mean, I, I think it's because for so long, I have struggled to not to make every decision, but to trust my own ability to make a decision or Mm -hmm. to make a decision competently. And that's been a lot of my own story. Um, If you pay attention, if one pays attention, I should say, I don't want to say you, but (laughs) um, this phrase, 
doing the next thing or doing the next right thing. I think it shows up maybe even back in my book I wrote in 2013, A Million Little Ways. So I've been saying the phrase, and I know I said it in Simply Tuesday as well, which came out in 2015. So it's been a phrase that's been meaningful to me and even I've written about before it became a podcast and a book. But really the catalyst for going ahead and and going through with the podcast originally was I was making a big decision. I was making a decision about whether or not to go to grad school. And it was, let's just straight out of the gate, I'll say it was a very privileged decision because obviously this is not life or death. And if I didn't go, all would be well. Everything mm-hmm. would be fine. However, that kind of was what made it hard was because it wasn't clear. It was just like, well, do you want to? And listen, there's, there's something really difficult sometimes about making a decision that has to do with what you want. With desire. Mm-hmm. And with desire. And it, it really is. And so I struggled with it for months and finally made the decision. I decided to go. But what I really paid attention to was how difficult that decision was and how it permeated so many parts of my life. And then I kind of looked at it deeper, paying attention, right? The gift of it is I just thought about how this process of decision-making is so important for our formation that we're like Dallas Willard says, I'll quote him again. He says, we're all um, being spiritually formed and we're all getting a spiritual formation. The question is what kind? Mm -hmm. And when you think about decision-making, you know, our decisions are forming us. The question is how, how Mm -hmm. are our decisions forming us? Are they bringing us closer to God? Are they pushing us further from him or to one another, you know, or further from ourselves? Because I mean, let's be honest, we can delegate decisions out. We can make them quickly, you know, because we don't want to have to deal. So there are ways to decide things and they, on the outside, they can look great. Like, wow, she's so decisive. Or maybe she doesn't like making decisions, so she makes them too quickly, and then mm. she regrets it later. Yeah, or no decision is still a decision. Right, exactly. There's so many things, so many ways we can tease that out. Mm-hmm. So why do you think we're so afraid of our own desires? Well, I'll speak for myself. I wasn't really brought up to believe that I was allowed to think about what I wanted because I was taught that was selfish. And so I think that we have equated knowing what we want and saying what we want with demanding mm. what we want, when in fact, Knowing what you want, being honest about it is not the same thing as demanding what you want. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's really important to pay attention. I mean, even in in scripture, Jesus asked people multiple times, what do you want? What do you want me to do Mm -hmm. for you? He asked questions of desire. Mm -hmm. He did not promise to do the thing. He just invited the answer. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so important for us to be able to name what we want, because the truth is, What we want is what we want, whether or not we admit it. And if we aren't willing to admit it and to just say what it is that we want, then it's going to come out one way or the other, but it's going to come out probably in a negative way if we Mm -hmm. don't say it out loud. We aren't willing to confess it. And then if we don't get it, we can more quickly grieve it and move on. Then if we didn't say it in the first place and don't get it, well, now I'm mad, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it kind of, it's going to play out and I, I would rather have it play out in a wholehearted way Mm -hmm. rather than kind of in a dysfunctional way. Right, right. Yeah, that's good. Uh, And correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure you talk about desire in a million little ways, which I just love so much. And you talk about uncovering the art you're made to live and, and basically just how does that play out? It plays out in a million little ways. So what's true for me isn't necessarily true for you, but God is doing a work inside of each and every one of us. And he wants to display his glory through us. Like that's how he created us. There's a scripture 
I think it's Philippians that talks about that God's working in us, giving us the desire and ability to do what pleases him. And so, you know, all comes from him. We need to pay attention to that desire. And like you're talking about, it's sometimes against what we're used to. Um, and obviously there are sinful desires, but we're talking about, okay, if if I have the desire to make a meal and give it to my neighbor, that's probably not from the enemy, you know, or maybe it is to write a book or to lead something or to whatever it might be. I think we should listen. Well, and you bring, you know, I think you bring that up. And I like those examples because, for example, if you do have a desire, especially to do something creative where you could potentially get accolades for it, you could get praised for it. I think that's why a lot of people are afraid of desires, because what if I'm wanting this thing for all the wrong reasons? Right. And so maybe the desire in itself is neutral or it's even positive, but you actually have convoluted, you know, you, we're afraid of our motivations. And to that, I guess I would just say, yeah, your motivations are mixed. Like welcome Mm -hmm. to humanity. (laughs) So true. But I just think that we have a God who knows that, and he still invites us to move and to listen to him. And if we're going to, if we're going way off track, I just trust that he can show us that as we do things in his presence and submit our next right thing to him. I just, I just refuse to believe that the cross is not big enough for even our weird motivations Mm. and that he's going to be with us and that his face towards us is one of love and invitation and is not one of like wrinkly eyebrows and crossed arms. That's just not (laughs) the God that I know. Amen. So if someone does have a desire, whether it's to start a business or to start a family or fill in the blank, what advice would you give them as they kind of move towards that decision? Well, first I would say name it. Name it, write it down, say it out loud and tell someone because there's a lot of power both in um, in keeping it secret because it can have a lot of power of feeling like this is going to be the answer to everything and you don't see the practicalities or the roadblocks that could come up. And there's also on the other side of that, if you keep it secret, there can be a lot of power to thinking like this is impossible. I could never do this. I'm not cut out for this. Mm -hmm. So when we say it out loud, it's like kind of the falsities can fall away and we're left with what the thing is. This is a beautiful desire that has some real implications. And now I'm going to put feet on the ground and have some people in my life who are going to help me discern and decide what's my next right thing as it Mm -hmm. relates to this very true, sacred, God-given, potentially desire. I'm going to name it out loud and I'm going to trust God through my people to know what's my next right thing. That's good. So I know you've studied this, you've written about it, you've podcasted about it. What have been some of your greatest discoveries in the area of decision-making when it comes to like tips? Like say right now you have a medium-sized decision to make, like it's not a tiny thing, but it's not a massive thing. And you're thinking, okay, Now, what's my next little tiny step to making this decision? I think there are a few, you know, even before you have that medium sized decision, I would hope or I would encourage or maybe you can start now uh, you as in like the collective you, right? Mm hmm of having a practice of reflection. I think um, I think in 90 day terms, like even seasonally is if we are living a reflective life and that means looking back on the last 90 days and making a list of what was life draining. And what was life giving, Mm. knowing that writing it down, we're not allowed to do it in your head because we miss things when we just do stuff in our head, Hmm. but actually have a real notebook where you write stuff down um, and you can do it four times a year. You can do it more than that. You can do it 
I would recommend not doing it less than that, but I would say at least quarterly um, so that you're paying attention to your life. It's a very practical way to pay attention to your life. Another way of saying it, there's a daily version of that called a daily examine where you kind of look back on your day and you ask yourself, where did I see God today? And that can be another way of doing that on a smaller scale. But I think that's one first step is even before you have a decision to make, um, what's actually happening in my life? What was life giving? What's been life draining? The goal of that exercise is not to eliminate all the life draining things because that's not possible. But Hmm. the goal is to, there might be, and I guarantee you every time I've done this, there's at least one thing on the list that I can either, if not eliminate, I can change so that it can be a little more life giving um, or at least neutral. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But if I don't write it down and pay attention, then I'm just going to keep kind of doing things because it's quote unquote, what I've always done. You know, I think a lot of us are doing things right now in our life because it's just how we've always done it. It's what we've always done. Well, they, the kids play soccer every year because that's what we do. Mm-hmm. Well, but do the kids like soccer? How does that interfere with your family? Like, do you, you know, and maybe they love it and then it's worth it. Even if it's life draining for you, it's worth it for everyone. And so you do it. But I think asking ourselves those questions is a great habit to be into. And so that way, when you do have a medium decision, one of the first questions can be is, okay, well, how does this fit into my rhythm of life that I already am aware of the life draining and life giving pieces of it? And is this going to is this going to lead us more into a life giving way of living or mm-hmm. the opposite? And that can be one step of many in trying to discern that. I really like that because, you know, we budget, we schedule. And so it's a way to steward your life. It really is. And and really a great predictor or, indi- you know, predictor or whatever. I don't know how to say that, but a in, future in, decision. Indicator. Maybe? Indicator. That's it. Thank you is past decisions, you know, like, well, I probably had a decision like this in the past. How'd that go? And even keeping a record of decisions I'm trying to make and then how they turned out. I think there's even things called decision journals that you can like journal decisions that you're questioning and then going back and writing down how it turned out. Cause mm-hmm. so many times, like, cause you said, maybe it's not a big decision. Maybe it's a medium decision. And I'm thinking, Every decision feels like a big decision. You're right. Sometimes. That's true. Like if it's if it's medium, I'm like going to kick it to big. Now right. later, when I <laughs> sometimes when I it's just back, dinner. Like oh my gosh, where yeah, are we going? It's crazy. But when I look back, I'll be like, no, that was tiny. That was a tiny decision. <laughs> right. But life is made of yeah. a lot of little decisions. I guess really. That's the truth. Absolutely. Yeah. So right now in the new year, what is one of your next right thing decisions that you're in the process of making? Do you have any going on right now? Right. Well, it's funny because the rhythm of life of the work that, you know, that we do, like writing books and speaking, everything is like a year ahead. Mm -hmm. And so my year, I feel like in as far as like traveling or teaching things has been kind of set for a while. Yeah. (laughs) And so in a way I kind of look in, you know, two, three year chunks in some ways, not, not detailed wise, but, um, so I think one of the things that I'm kind of discerning is, okay, what does the next, you know, three years, I'll look into it. Not Nellison. I plan only 90 days at a time. So it's Hmm. not like I'm planning three years ahead, Right. but I do think it's a good thing to just carry and just look at, okay, what's going to be happening in the lives of our kids. Our girls are going to graduate from high school. They're in 10th grade. So wow, that's crazy. Yeah, they'll be out of the college. house. Oh right. And so just making decisions now that I know are going to impact us in a couple of years. You know, we can't deny that. But then just, you know, kind of more down to the ground um, 
for years. I've been wanting to host some weekends at a ministry house my husband and I have here in North Carolina. And um, we haven't done it yet. And I've been wanting to do it. I have the house for it. It's do more it. I just have it. Do it, right? Mm-hmm, that's but right. I just haven't had the space to plan it yeah. and figure out what I want it to be. So that is kind of something I'm, you know, noodling around my head. Like, what what's the next right thing for that? Is there one thing I can do to move me closer to that goal ultimately mm-hmm. that I know I want to do? So to be continued. Well, listen, Emily, you need to create space for your soul to think about that decision. Okay. (laughs) So I can discern my next right thing. That's right. That's right. right. You're welcome. Well, we always love to hear what new or timeless resources, maybe music um, or just basic tips you love and can recommend to all of us. So do you have any resources that you just love and want to pass along? Oh, good question. Well, I'll tell you, I've been thinking about a lot of books lately, and um, I realized that so many of the books that I love are published by University Press. And I was like, oh my gosh, they should pay me. They don't, but they should. (laughs) (laughs) Because I feel like I'm always recommending books with IVP, but Mm -hmm. they do. They're so good at what they do and um, such smart, thoughtful, spiritual formation books. But one author, Ruth Haley Barton, is one that I recommend a lot. And I've read at least three of her books. Um, Invitation to Retreat is the most recent one I've read and so helpful, especially for anyone who wants to maybe, yes, there's, I think there's important for us to create space daily, but she wrote this, it's a kind of a shorter book, um, book about what might it look like to actually get away with God for a couple of days, like for an actual retreat. Mm. And she walks you through what that could look like. Cause sometimes a lot of us, we, it's not for lack of wanting to get away. We just don't really know what to do during that time to make it meaningful. And so she has a really good perspective on that. So that's one book that I would recommend. Awesome. Yeah. Anything else? If that's it, that's good. (laughs) Good. This is embarrassing. Ready? Just in the last year, maybe last six months, but really kind of year, I finally learned how to use Spotify. Yeah. Because it wouldn't, like I was trying to use it on my computer and it wouldn't download right. And then I was like, Spotify is stupid. I don't understand it. And finally, (laughs) I figured it out on my, on an app on my phone. I made my friend Kendra, like explain it to me. Like, okay, walk me through what does this mean? And the, why does it say my name right there? You know, so she was, she's such a great teacher. She's like, okay, listen, and she's not condescending. She just like told me how to use it. And now I love Spotify and like, oh, you can play all, any song. It's amazing. I love mm-hmm. it. No, it's funny. I was talking to someone the other day about how I'm not super techie, but they're like, you have a podcast. And I was, my husband's worse than I am. And she's like, he's a pastor at Life Church. Like, I don't understand. Like you guys, you write for the YouVersion Bible app. Like, how are you not tech? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I just do what I have to do to survive. And that's it. So, right. You think about, there's probably so many things we don't know. There are so many things we don't know that we could probably make our lives easier, but we don't know what they are. So we just make it work. I know. Well, speaking of the YouVersion Bible app that was created through our church, I know you have a couple of plans on there, which are great. Also, of course, your books, your podcast, we'll link all that up in the conversation notes. So this has just been awesome. As we head into 2020, what final word of encouragement or advice might you have for the gals listening to this podcast today? Oh, I just think that as you make hard decisions, small decisions, and if you're just overwhelmed with decision fatigue, I think the most encouraging thing for me to remember really comes from my friend, James Bryan Smith, who says that I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights. I live in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God. 
And so just, I think as I make my decisions, as we make our decisions together, remembering that um, Christ is with us and he is delighted with us and his kingdom is not in trouble. Amen. Preach that girl. You preach it. (laughs) Amen. All right, friends, here's your homework for today. And I promise it's simple. Just ask God to show you your next right thing. I don't know what it is for you, but chances are, as you were listening, some type of subject or topic or theme kept rolling through your mind. Whether it has to do with a career or a relationship or your family or some distant dream, nothing's off limits, nothing's too small. Even if it's simply to make a list or open your Bible or make that call you should have made a long time ago. Whatever it is, even if it feels messy on this side of things, you can trust that God is faithful. He is working and he knows more about that thing than you do. Well, did you know you can subscribe to this podcast for free with one little push of a button? We are on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher. And listen, we have a very special guest joining us for our next episode, talking about the behind the scenes of leadership. I promise you do not want to miss it. So subscribe or join our email list so that each new episode will come to your phone or inbox. You can also join our Instagram community at The Messy Table Podcast. And guys, of course, we will have all of Emily's information and resources, books, podcasts, all of it linked up in the conversation notes. And hey, we are truly so honored that you joined us today. As you head into this new year, don't forget, yes, life is messy, but God is at work in your mess. <laughs>